0: undisclosed location. Yes, it's radio-free Mushroom America. We broadcast whenever we want because, really, I have little else to do. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Pillows. Pillows. You can sleep on them. You can smother people with them. Pillows. One great product. Two great uses. Pillows. We have music from an unlabeled CD by an unknown, I guess, artist. There are 20 tracks listed. The longest... It's 8 minutes and 35 seconds, the shortest, 20 seconds. Are they songs? Are they noise? Do some of them sound like bad recordings of an old NES game's background music? Maybe it can be all things to all people. Let's listen. So that. I know there's a burning cliffhanger from last time. I'm dying to tell you, <laughs> you're asking. Phil, what's your favorite color? The answer is mauve not really it's blue because i'm boring they say like half the world's favorite color is blue which is also weird because blue is one of the last colors to get a name in any language it goes black white red those are the first colors to get names in languages blue just lags far behind yes i know that's not what you want to hear or know <laughs> you want to know about the phone i'm not there yet i'm not We have so much time. All this time to get to it. It's not. What's it matter? Nope. Nope. Come on, Phil. Lighten up. Remember, stay positive. You want to hear about the phone? Call in now. Now. The number is CZ-895. Call in. I'll wait. As a reminder, I'm broadcasting on some sort of shortwave radio? Is that right? Again, wasn't mine, it was my cousin's. This is his bunker. But he's just a skeleton, his lungs choked with spores and his flesh sucked dry by small white glowing mushrooms. You really don't know what it's like to cradle your loved one and pick mushrooms off her body until you do it. It really just, it changes you. Not into a mushroom creature. seems only a tiny fraction turn into a mushroom creature the rest just die I don't know why I didn't I should have probably definitely but I have no idea why I'm still alive but maybe you do if so call in I have this phone here it's hard plastic uh, sort of light brown like that M&M they used to have they, they used to have a light brown MM. do you remember these Kids, ask your parents what M&M's were and how they melted in your mouth, not in your sweaty palms, as you watched a 70-foot-tall Portabella rip the roof off the Capitol and slurp up the Senate. They added light brown when they found out the red M&M's gave you cancer. Well, the dye they used. There was a time when there were no red M&M's. We got light brown instead. Then they figured out how to make the red one safer. But... Maybe we'd rather have had a red life with a chance of cancer than led a longer, cancer-free, light brown life. Maybe they should have given us the choice, not just pussed out and gave us cancer-free red. Let us gamble with our candy. Sorry for using pussed out. That's a terrible term. Yeah, it's probably better. We had cancer-free M&Ms. I don't know what I was... (laughs) Sorry. Blue. We got blue ones. They came later. The, the word blue and blue M&M's were both late arrivals. Coincidence? Why is blue candy blue raspberry flavored? Why isn't it blueberry? Is blue raspberry even a thing? So, yeah, the call <laughs> from the last broadcast. Well, I'm not even sure there was a call. Did it even happen? You can't see the light blinking, can't verify, unless you were the one that called. Were you? It said... Well, it, I heard a voice, but there was a lot of static, and I just kept yelling, Hello, hello, hello. The voice just, it kept going. It wasn't like a recording, but it was like the person on the other end was trying to say something, and, and whether I was talking or not, I mean, it wasn't a conversation. Still, I, I hope they call back. You, call back. Until then, it's just me and this CD demo, this experimental, instrumental, whatever it is. Uh, sometimes I think I hear lyrics, sometimes, but never in the same place, like way back in the music. I'll be lying in bed and almost asleep and I think I hear it, lyrics, talking. I can't go back. I, I, I play the track again. I, I jump out of bed and it's just music, noise. Whatever this is, There, there's nothing there. I'm afraid I'm going to wear this CD out. Can you do that? You can scratch it. <laughs> but does, like, the laser wear out? Can, can, can you warp it? Like, am I hearing things that aren't there because the CD is changing? Could that be... Maybe it all goes away eventually. I mean, we thought MP3s would last forever, but <sighs> the digital, it's gone. <laughs> the archaeologists in the future who will sift through our remains, they'll think our society was pretty dumb. We had no books, no music. Well, we did, but it was all in those stupid rectangle things that seemed like odd blocks just strewn about. We stored all of our knowledge in a cloud. That sounds so wonderfully stupid. If, if after all the dust settles, the, the, the mushrooms are defeated, and I had to explain the old world, it would all seem like nonsense, fairy tales, Oh, we had all these stories in a magic cloud. Now it's just rectangles that used to talk to the cloud, and we would talk to each other across the world in a snap. There were candies to crush and really angry birds all in the rectangle. How did it work? I have no idea. Circuits, I guess. Sure, old man, keep on dreaming. The streets were paved with gold, and there were centaurs and unicorns and an electoral college. (laughs) I mean, what will these future archaeologists even think cell phones are? Little plates for tapas? A, a pedestal? A cutting board? Just some odd bit of decoration? I remember I saw an exhibit of Aztec artifacts, and there were several objects that were labeled pin or spatula. That was as good as they could do. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible game show. Welcome back to Pin or Spatula. Something is a pin for decoration or a spatula for spatula-related tasks. Are we ready to play? Our first contestant is Pete. Pete, is this a pin or a spatula? Uh... See, this is really more a visual joke because you have to see it. It's, it's not a good radio game. Maybe if it's like, if I tap something and you call in and you tell me if the object I'm tapping is a pin or a spatula, but I'll tell you now, it's a trick question because... I don't have a pin or a spatula. It's just, just my finger. But my finger could be a spatula. Fingers have all sorts of uses. Why don't you call in and tell me your favorite finger uses? Ah, huh? oh, that sounds... Let's keep it PG-13. Though a 13-year-old, his favorite use would probably be, let's just not play that game at all. Let's just say it was a spatula and move on. Ginny would just laugh when I'd get all flustered about it, trying to sort it all. She was more fine arts than history, but she did oversee an exhibit of Russian icons, somewhere like 600 or more years old. It's it's also not clear the line between art and history. A painting or a mosaic can be both. We were in the back room of some museum, I think it was at Smith College, and Ginny held this coin from some empire, and she was like, This coin traveled a thousand years to be here. She showed me the emperor or the king or whatever. This guy. When this coin was struck, the idea that we won't remember or, or give a shit about this guy was crazy. A thousand years. That coin existed all the years. It traveled from then to her hand? All that space in between? The guy who used that coin to buy a beer or a mutton or whatever, he, he was living his whole life. A whole life that we know nothing about. His name, his grave, his wife, his hopes. All the people that touched that coin, it just went back into some drawer in the storeroom of that museum. I think the fact that Ginny was Jewish was important. Hmm. How can I say this? Stupidly, probably, but (laughs) I converted, not officially, but sort of. Jewish adjacent. (laughs) Jews were for a long time at the whim of other people's history. Conquerors, kings, popes. So they sort of take a long view of history. But Ginny's not religious. She's culturally, she was. She was. When we had... No. Not. I took her name. Etrog. Which, well, isn't really her name. It was, yes, the... Etrogs were the Etrogs for a while, but it wasn't always their name. They changed their name when they came here. Not at Ellis Island. People always wanted... <laughs> no. They snuck into America. From Mexico. Via Cuba. Her family came from Eastern Europe, from the country where Jews had a shit time of it. N- no, not that one. Nope, guess again. Yep. That country. They got passage to Cuba, but when they were in Cuba, the family couldn't make it to America. The paperwork was not paperworking. Some say that the family changed their name while in Cuba because they shot someone who had papers and took his name and dumped the body in Havana Harbor. But only her great-uncle would tell that story, and he was a bit of a a liar. An embellisher. Or maybe it was true, but... Etrog isn't really a common name, so I doubt there was a Mr. Etrog who became chum for the sharks in Havana Harbor. In any event, her great-great-grandfather was able to get the family to Mexico, where he left his kids, including Ginny's eventual great-grandmother, in an orphanage in Mexico City, and he and his wife went to New York. The orphanage was run by nuns, and they tried to get her great-grandmother, Shandel to convert. The nun said, your parents are dead, Jesus is your parents now, or whatever jerk nuns said back then. Eventually, though, her great-great-grandfather was able to go back and bring them to New York, but some of the family stayed in Mexico, because there were three brothers. The story gets confusing, because it's history, and history is confusing enough, but then personal history is mostly half-remembered, and there are no primary sources, because ordinary immigrants from the old country don't care about primary sources, they only care about not getting hit by Cossacks. No offense to Cossacks, but you know what you did, historically. So her family, they come to America, change their name to Etrog, and eventually Ginny and I meet at a Beckett performance at Drew University in New Jersey, and that's that. That's me smoothing out so much history. It's a lie we agree on because it makes the truth easier. I have to leave out a bunch or it's just too much. So many things I won't be able to explain. How do I tell the next civilization that there was this place called the Hard Rock Cafe, and they had t-shirts that were very popular for some reason? I lived through that, and I can't explain it. I don't even know what a hard rock is. I mean, why does it need a cafe? It wasn't even a cafe. It was more like a shitty kind of diner, food-wise. Like cheeseburgers and chicken fingers. I guess when you let hard rock design a menu, it sort of picks what a 10-year-old would pick. Oh, man. I would go for a cheeseburger about now. (laughs) That would be... Any time can be cheeseburger time, breakfast, lunch, brunch, doesn't matter. Time is, <laughs> it was really sort of created by the railroads. There's this whole sun thing with the hours, but it really just sort of arbitrary. In Ethiopia, which I think still exists, because last time I saw a news broadcast that fungus hadn't reached Africa, which, good for them. Nice to imagine a fungus-free Africa. Well, at least not the alive kind. Well, all mushrooms are alive, yes, alive, but wanting us dead kind. Well, I guess mushrooms could have been wanting us dead all this time, and we just didn't know it, or they didn't really... Ethiopia! <laughs> Ethiopia has their own time. They count the hours starting from sunrise to sundown. Dawn will be one o'clock, and then go from there. That, that, that sort of makes sense, right? Start counting from the beginning of the day? It's sort of like how I still feel the year starts in September, because of school. Like, that's when the year begins, and it ends in June. That's not a full year, but the school year feels more like a year than January to January. To me, at least. Of course, in Ethiopia, they use regular time zones, too, because you have to be part of the world. But now they use both and don't get confused. There's all sort of competing times and dates. You have the Jewish calendar and the Chinese one, but there's still the Christian one. They all coexist, even though there are all these different years and months and dates, and we still manage to keep moving forward. Someone just decides how it is. At some point, people just jumped into the Gregorian calendar. They just added some days, and we were like, okay, that's cool. Why not do sundown to sunup? Why midnight? The day switches while we're asleep. It's like a magic trip. When I snap my fingers, you will wake up, and it'll be Tuesday. January will mark a new year. Presto. Tempo. It's arbitrary. January. Well, Janice took out of doorways, so it sort of makes sense. But really, it's names we put on chaos to make it seem manageable. When you have a list... It all seems so much easier. Wash dishes, do laundry, write the great American novel, get cilantro, make a meaningful contribution to the world, get that Paw Patrol DVD out of the toilet, don't die, put away the dishes. Ginny was so good at that, taking the mess and stripping it down. That's why she worked at museums. Museums, they take all of this junk and they make it make sense. Think about a history museum. History... It's a bunch of random events constantly happening all over the world, and a museum takes that, flattens it out, and sums it up with, like, 20 pieces of pottery. Objects are given context, become symbols of this giant, impossible-to-comprehend thing. Egypt lasted for 4,000 years. Julius Caesar, lived closer to our time, than when the pyramids were built... That's how old they are! They were an ancient wonder to people who are ancient wonders to us. There were still woolly mammoths alive in Siberia when the pyramids were built. Egypt! They didn't even have the wheel until the Hyksos Empire gave it to them. That's how old they are. They predate the wheel. The fucking wheel! Now imagine, you're a history museum and, and, and you want to explain all of this. You You want to present Egypt. But you only have a collection of like 20 objects willed to you by a weird rich guy who probably stole them illegally. But the objects were stolen before 1971 when the UN Antiquities Act was signed. The museum gets to keep them, because if you stole ancient artifacts before the 1970s, you're free and clear. But should the artifacts go back to where they came from? Should we empty out the Louvre and, and the Met and all those museums? Is that the best way? Ginny fell in love with history and with art because she saw these artifacts. Are people in modern-day Iran more connected to the giant-winged sphinx things in the Met than Ginny, who spend every Sunday there and would stare at them and really love them? So much so, she had a sex dream about them when she was 13. Even asked if I'd grow one of those weird Persian King Xerxes kind of beards. I shouldn't really be saying this. She told me that in confidence, and then... Maybe it should all go back. Maybe all the mummies should go back to Egypt or... Greece, or wherever things come from. But how do we even know? All those gold artifacts that were stolen and, and melted down, then stolen by another group and melted down again, and is that the object, the original thing, or the current thing, or is it even anything? Fuck if I know. Who owns history? Which history is it? I mean, we like to think of it in like neat little rows. Babylonians, then Egyptians, then Greeks, then Persians, then Romans, then something, something British, Americans, and now mushrooms. They didn't have clear ends. They were messy and sticky like melting ice cream. And, then, and sometimes they refroze again into weird versions of themselves, like refrozen ice cream with these weird crystals. And you're like, I kind of get this This is ice cream, but it's gross and not right. That's basically the Eastern Roman Empire. In our personal museums, how do we even explain who we are? How do we present whole empires as a coherent thing when we're all fighting and arguing? How do I say what I am? I'm not one thing, but yet whole empires are one vase in the corner of an exhibit. When you're in a bunker, it's easy to become big picture. Get caught up in the philosophical. Because I'm not. I'm not out there fighting. Because I forget sometimes that it's gone. The world. Because... In these four walls, it can seem so ordinary, maybe, safe, boring. I put on that CD and I... It's easy to worry more about the Ishtar Gate in the Berlin Museum than, than all those... Uh... I'm just collecting arbitrary trivial facts the same way I collected food fighters because it's easier to collect something than to face the realities outside, out there, I... I have collected all this, and I have nowhere to put it. It didn't help. I am Ginny's museum. I am the last person who holds all of her stories. It's an incomplete record, and there are gaps, and... The curator is not ideal, but it's... all that's... I can't... Um... I don't want to collect things. It's old. You can make a museum of museums. Actually, so in Victorian times or whatever, there was a bunch of entitled white people going off and collecting things for Britain, mostly. Because when you're the superpower, you want to collect things. Oh, Americans, we're doing this too. But, Phil, focus, we've talked about this. Finish one story before you start three more. Remember the old Scandinavian saying? That's Norway to finish a Sweden story. Anyway. These archeologists, they start digging in like Iraq or whatever it was called then, and they find artifacts, but these artifacts don't belong there. It is an ancient site from like 500 BC or whatever, but suddenly there are like other civilizations, earlier ones that didn't ever reach this part of the world. They were a lot older, but they were mixed in with this site. And then they found these clay cylinders that were inscribed with three languages. The cylinders, they explained what these older objects were. They were museum labels. Thousands of years old museum labels. We think that we invented all this stuff, that the modern world is so new and smart, but here was a museum, an ancient museum, because we have been trying to understand the world since it began. They found that this museum was created and curated by a princess whose name was Enegaldi. I remember because Ginny would always talk about her. She liked her. She joked that women ran museums even from the start. Sometimes she'd say that there were too many women in museums. Mostly white women, she'd say. That was a problem. She said not because they're all the same, because they weren't so different. You get stagnant ideas and lack of perspective when there's no diversity. I'm not against white women. I love them. I married one. Anyway, I don't know. When I worked at museums, it was mostly in the gift shop or the ticket office, so... I didn't really have any opinion except for where to display the mouse pads. Anyway, so now this ancient museum is an archaeological site. A museum is a museum. Some of the ancient labels are on display. I never asked Jenny if they are with the objects they talked about. Or is that confusing? You have this Babylonian label, but it's with an object from somewhere else. Do people just look at that object and then they're like, oh, that's a Babylonian object. But it's not. It's a museum piece with a label that's, you have to read the label about the label, and suddenly the person is like, no thanks, that's too much. It is kinda meta. I mean, how do you make a museum of a museum and make it make sense? But that's the whole nature of museums. How do you set it up? At what height do you hang a painting? What painting do you put next to it? How do you light it? Do you use classic salon style where you like just stick like 40 paintings on the wall? Or do you just put one piece smack dab center on a wall? What color do you paint the wall? All of it, all of that matters. All of it changes how you see the object. All that bullshit was what Ginny spent so much of her life caring about. She had paint swatches laid on on the floor and, and, and she'd be on her knees comparing like six colors that all looked identical to me. I wish I was a mantis shrimp, she'd say. They can see a billion more colors than we can. I can't even see as many colors as she could. One time, we were in this mansion in France, and she started to almost cry because of this wallpaper. Me, not so much. Her brother, Nebby, used to call me a wide, shallow pool, full of information, but only an inch deep. I hated that. He was really... I never really talked about her brother. You see, that's presentation, right? In the museum of my life, I sort of left Nebby out. Nebuchadnezzar Etrog was complicated. He always liked to say he was named after Nebuchadnezzar, that king that built the Ishtar Gate, and he would one day do equally great things. He was a bit grandiose. Well, more than a bit, a big bit. But so was Ginny's whole family. Her parents were both academics, which I was always jealous of. They had, like, bookshelves everywhere, and they would just talk about complex things like her parents would get into screaming matches about who was a better emperor of rome or what was the best shape of grecian vase to use when depicting the story of heracles they liked me fine i think i wasn't smart enough for Ginny, but then again really no one was i think they liked that i think they liked that i knew my limits they always seemed like a wacky couple that should be in a ya novel about a girl who invents a robot that punches climate change or something Sometimes when I think about them, I see them more as drawings than people. Exaggerated? Huh. Sorry, I just... I... I hadn't really thought about them, and... I... Yeah. (laughs) One time, sitting out in their back garden, her father, Jonah, was cleaning his glasses, which he always seemed to be doing, he was talking about passenger pigeons and said that when they made movies set in the past, they needed to put passenger pigeons in them because there were once so many. But Hollywood wouldn't do that. Even with computers making whatever, they don't do it. He said. They are really annoyed. They ate acorns. He added. They would darken the sky, and now they're gone. The most populous bird in America. We let it go. Many things are gone. I nodded because. In a situation like this, that's really all you can do. And he then out of nowhere said, I think I might convert to Islam. He then said it had nothing to do with God, but rather he wanted to visit Mecca. Only Muslims can enter the city, but he wanted to see the Kaaba and the shrines. But then he said it was too much work and the Saudis probably still wouldn't give him a visa. He got mad because he said there's tons of photos of it. There's video, there's all of it, but an old Jew like me can't go see it. Even though it would mean so much to him. It's not yours, I countered. It's all of ours. Let them have something for them. We all need things that are just our own. He didn't like my answers. He then said maybe he'd convert to Hinduism. There were several temples only Hindus could enter. Then he was trying to remember if you could even convert to Hinduism. He asked Hildy, his wife. She said she wasn't even sure if it was a religion in the modern sense or really more of a collection of ideas and teachings. Maybe it was more a nebulous catch-all for a large set of ways of life. But then Jonah said, what about all those gods they have? If it's got gods, it's a religion. And she quoted some things that I don't remember. In the end, she asked, would he rather visit a few temples or eat a hamburger? <laughs> Jonah, oh, he got annoyed at this. He then talked about his friend who was a Zoroastrian. He said you couldn't convert to that. They had these things called Towers of Silence where they would put your body when you died so the vultures could eat you and leave your bones. But then Hilde interjected that in some place, India maybe, they were building new apartments too close to old Towers of Silence and people would open their balcony doors and a vulture would be pecking at a femur. Then Nebi came out into the garden and said he wouldn't let a bird peck his dick off. Then Hildy let out an annoyed sound like, uh, Jonah went back to cleaning his glasses. I don't even know how he heard us. Maybe he was going to say that no matter what we were saying. He liked to say random shit. Why do I remember that so clearly? I could put all that in my museum, but what does it really highlight? That memory. It's what remains. Say all the days of your life become objects, and then they go into the ground or are left out for a thousand years. You might find, after all that time, maybe broken bits of one or two of these days, but so many would be lost. Maybe the most beautiful and important memories are gone and just a, a few banal ones survive, like that memory in the garden. My wedding is lost. The birth of things get forgotten or, or purposely destroyed. Most of the pottery we have is the generic general use ones because there's just so much of it. Someone's oil lamp, a, a plate, It's like if all the future archaeologists find are just Ikea forks because there are just so many of them out there. They'll put them in a space museum and people will, ooh, and glorp and think it's amazing that we dumb ancient people even could figure out how to use a fork, that an Ikea fork was the pinnacle of our civilization. Same with books. The popular things survive because there are so many. Bad airport thriller books have the better chance of lasting than probably most Pulitzer winners. The those weird, strange, niche books. Good luck, like Ginny's book. It was about stripes, a history of stripes. But I don't even have it. I should've, I had to leave all that when the car went in. Think of all the amazing things we've lost, like music, except for this, this hero. Kevin, why, why? He did buy that book about throwing away everything that doesn't spark joy. Maybe this? He was a weird, right-wing, paranoid prepper nutjob. Not a nutjob. He was cool in his own way. He threw away all those demo CDs and tapes. All those poor, hopeful bands milling away their art and dreams. But this survives? This is the exception to the rule. All the popular songs. How many Beatles CDs were there? Millions. They had a good chance to survive, probability-wise, but no, gone. But this one, this one-off thing without a label or name, I get to play you this. I get to live with this. This is the closest I get to Kevin. This is Kevin's museum. This music, this... Here. That's him, I guess. Some objects defy explanation. There's no bit of text that puts this in context. Some things we don't get. There was this Greek playwright called Menander. He was supposed to be the greatest comedy writer. His plays were all lost. We only knew about it because the Roman writers would be like, Oh man, know who was great? Menander. Hey, I'm good, but I'm no Menander. That guy was amazing. Even St. Paul quotes him in one of his letters to the... somebodies or other... Historians thought, oh man, Menander, this guy, he must be the shit. I'm so mad, his plays are all lost. That's the real Greek tragedy. So suck on that, Oedipus. Actually, don't. Oedipus, you've been through a lot. Just take a load off. Anyways, one day, some researchers were examining these mummies and their stuffing. Because they would stuff mummies sometimes with old paper because, sure, why not? Not what you usually learn about mummies, but history is more complex than we want. They look at this mummy stuffing, and they realize it's from a play. Several plays, and they find Menander, his plays. Amazing! So they piece it together, and they read it, and it's... meh. I mean, it's fine. It's, it's kind of like a hokey sitcom. Later they find other plays, and Menander is Menander. I mean, he's fine. He comes back from being lost with a shrug. They don't stage them very much, and you don't read them in school, but there he is. He's back. Hooray! <laughs> in some ways, he would have been better off staying lost, because what is lost? Looms large. A legend. The book you'll never write is always better than the one you put down on paper, because we are imperfect creatures, and we make imperfect things. The hype is always more than we can be. Ginny hated the idea of the great unfinished masterpiece. The Lost Masterpiece. They made this documentary a while back about this filmmaker, like, a real strange guy, and and he was going to make a version of Dune, and it was going to have, like, Salvador Dali, and be brilliant and crazy, and it never got made. But this documentary was like, wouldn't it have been amazing? Ginny was like, fuck that, it would have been awful. It's only amazing because it never got made. She then said, imagine if it was the other way around, and they were like, David Lynch was going to make Dune and Sting was going to be in it, isn't that amazing? People would have been like, oh man, it would have been amazing. But it wasn't. Instead of the infinitely possible, we get the disappointingly real. There it is. But at least he made it. I mean, who wants perfect things, really? It's the flaw that makes things interesting. The, the, the crack on a vase. The misspelled word. Ginny hated books or movies that were perfectly constructed. Every line made sense. Every detail moved the plot. Things introduced to chapter 3 paid over in chapter 40. They always seem sterile to her, lifeless. She called them robot books. Technically perfect, but they had no heart. She wants a mess and dead ends. The Writer exists in the bits that don't fit the narrative. That's what makes it beautiful. Not perfect clockwork precision. Like, like when they were making Spider-Man, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee got in a big fight about who the Green Goblin should be. Spider-Man is a superhero who is... I was going to say has the powers of a spider, but he doesn't really, does he? His webs are mechanical. He... Has spider sense, but do spiders have spider sense? He sticks to walls, which spiders sort of do, maybe. Really, he's just a superpower guy who was bit by a spider and gained a bunch of random powers he assigned to a spider because that's what bit him. He's really spider-in-name-only man. The Green Goblin was this villain who, let's just say, has the powers of a goblin. A green one. He was tormenting spiderish man and being a jerk, but they kept his identity a secret. Stanley, the writer, is like, we'll make it his best friend's dad, Norman Osborne, and it'll tie into the pathos and sadness of the story because Norman Osborne is like a sort of father figure to him, and it'll be wonderful and tragic excelsior. But the artist Steve Ditko said, Let's make it some random guy. Why does everyone have to be someone? Sometimes it's just a random guy. They get into a fight, and then in the big reveal, the Green Goblin was... Norman Osborne. Because, of course, it's a comic, and you don't just want a guy to be random. People don't want Green Goblin to just be nobody. In a world of uncertain goblins of many colors, we want Green Goblins to make sense, to give us peace of mind. He's Norman Osborn. He makes narrative sense. Ginny hated that, but she thought Stan Lee was a sellout. I think Ginny's favorite book would be a locked room murder mystery where the killer ended up just being some random guy who was never introduced and did it for no reason relevant to the plot. She'd love that. To me, that sounds terrible, but she understood the importance of story. Museums are built via an agreed-upon lie, Ginny would say. A museum promises, I can explain the world to you. When you buy a ticket, you agree to this lie. That's not bad. Lies aren't inherently bad. But sometimes a lie can, sometimes, sometimes the best thing in your life is built on a lie. I remember when Ginny talked about moving in together. She asked if I was ready. I said yes. But it was a lie. I wasn't. But I did it. And it was the best lie in the world because if I had said no, we might have not done it. We might have broken up. And how could I have been ready? The truth would have killed us. I hadn't had... I didn't think something like that could work. I had only ever seen, even before my dad left, even before Mom. Mom (laughs) is... Maybe next time we'll get into Mom. This one time, I was in the hallway of Ginny's childhood home. Jonah was in the doorway. The light from his office cast deep shadows across his face. Only his smudged glasses sparkled in a way that I don't think really happened, but I remember it like they did, so it's what they did. He said, If you hurt her, I'll cut your balls off. I think he smiled, but I think he was serious. He had this ancient tartar knife he got when he was in Finland, so he knew I didn't have much, much money, much prospects, much, much. But he, I don't know how to explain it. He put a hand on me. Listen, he said, people seem to have purpose, but all of us, we fake it. We say, well, according to history, but history, it isn't even history. It isn't even there. "'Let me boil down 4,000 years of Jewish teaching and wisdom. "'Don't be a shit person. "'The rest is commentary.'" He finished and turned away. I nodded because in a situation like that, that's really all you can do. Then he said he named his son Nebuchadnezzar because he thought it was funny. It was a joke name he and Hilde thought would be funny. To think, he said, they let people name children. People are idiots. He made me promise not to tell Nebi he was named on a whim for a joke, and he smiled. I knew he approved of me. Then he talked about converting to Islam, and... Oh, that, that, was, that was that time. That, that wasn't in the garden. Shit, I totally remember that wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that was definitely... But I remember both those times so vividly. I remember them, but the past is so complicated. The way it keeps changing, and we keep changing it. The last time we talked, after all it had started happening, really happening, before the cell tower stopped working, we said we'd come and get him. We'd, but Jonah said, he said it was too late. He was already purple. We left so many things behind. But we took those dumb books. We took useless, useless Here's the thing. I lied. No. I withheld. Which is not that different. The voice on the other end of the phone. I heard you. It. The voice said three things to me. It counted them out, and I hope they... You, if you're listening, I'm... I don't even know what it means. I just... Maybe it would work that you'd call, that you'd... I'd say what you wanted, but I'm gonna share your message with everyone, okay? The voice that said this. One, you must keep all this going. Two, I will call back when you break your history. Three, you will be ready when I hear the dark on your tongue. I don't know. Is this the history you wanted to hear? Am I doing this right? Please call. Please. Whatever you need, I'm here. Let's help each other. I guess this isn't what you...